We've been in this series called Road Trip, Discover the Adventure God Has for You, uh, here for, uh, this will be our third week uh, in this series, and um, uh, really the whole idea here is that uh, I want to introduce you, I want to equip you, I want to I show you how to step into that, that yes, how to step into uh, that adventure that God has for you. Personally, following Jesus has been the greatest adventure of my life, and I want that for you as well. And so three weeks ago, we looked at how do we orient the map, how do we get on uh, this adventure, and we said, hey, that th- it all centers around Jesus. We have to, to put Jesus first. It's all about Jesus. Our lives are actually about Jesus. And until we make that decision and that commitment, we can't really discover the adventure. But that commitment, that adventure comes with some hardships, some difficult seasons, some, some hard times will come. Uh, and so last week, and, and again this week, we looked at these roadblocks, uh, things that come against us, things that make uh, our lives difficult, these, these hard seasons, these difficult times, and, and what do we do with these roadblocks? And you'll remember, uh, we said that our tendency, when things don't go the way we think they should, is to blame. Uh, that's our first inclination, is to find someone to blame, it's so-and-so's fault. It's this person's fault. But a better approach is to uh, examine the cause. When, when times get hard, we examine the cause. And, and last week, we looked at two of those causes. The first being uh, the question, am I in step with God? And we ask this question uh, because if we're not doing what God has asked us to do, if we know his will and we're not stepping into it and we're experiencing difficulty or hardship, it could be, it's not always, but it could be that we're not doing what God has asked us to do. And then we said, if that's not the case, if we are doing what God has asked us to do, we're following his will, then we ask the question, is the enemy attacking me? The scripture says in John 10.10 that the thief, the enemy, comes to steal and kill and destroy. And so we know we have an enemy who wants to to trick us, who wants to to lie to us, to deceive us, uh, to break us apart, to to bring disunity, to steal and literally kill and destroy. And so we have an enemy and we have to ask, is the enemy attacking me? We looked at those things last week, and, and if you think that that might, that might be uh, some things that you're facing in your, your situation, I want to encourage you uh, to go back and listen to those. All of our messages are recorded. Uh, we keep an archive on our website. You can always go back and listen to those. You can share them with other people. You're thinking, man, this person needs to hear this, needs to be encouraged by this. You can send them that link. We put that out there because uh, we know that God continues to move outside of this place. And so uh, if you miss that, you can go back and check those out always. You can go back and check those out. But we looked at these two things. And for some of you, that was a difficult week. It was a difficult, it was a, it was a hard season walking through that going, man, like I'm not in step with God. I need to get there. Or man, I am being attacked. How do I fight back? And, and that was hard. It was a difficult thing. And I just want to encourage you that today is going to be harder I'm so sorry. (laughs) It just is. Those are difficult things, but as I look at Scripture, they're not the most difficult things. And today we're going to look at two things that that come against us that are actually more difficult than those. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn uh, to Genesis chapter 3. We've been in there for, we were there last week kind of looking at this. We're going to go back there and look at some things. Uh, But I want to give you some background. Uh, We have in Genesis 3, what we find is that God has created the world perfect. He's created men and women and they are perfect. They are in perfect unity. Um, They they have no um, issues with one another. There's no argument. There's no fighting. There's no struggle. Uh, There's perfect unity between man and what can 
you imagine how amazing that would be? Um, there's perfect unity there, right? And so we find that men and women, uh, people in general, have perfect unity with, them, with each other. Uh, we find that men and women, people, have perfect unity with God. They're walking with him. They're unashamed. Uh, there's no reason to fear. Uh, there's this perfection there. And there's a perfect relationship between people and creation, the world produces food for them. It just makes good things to eat. Uh, there's no work involved. There's no requirement to, to toil for that. Uh, and it's just a beautiful, perfect relationship. Everything working together as it was meant to be. And God gives one command, one instruction. And it says, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, do not eat or you will surely die. Now, just a disclaimer, you may not believe in a literal Adam and Eve. Uh, We do in this church. The reason we believe that is because Jesus seemed to believe in a literal Adam and Eve. And anyone who can predict his own death and resurrection and then pull it off, we're going to go with what he says. Uh, But even if you don't believe that, that's okay. The principles are still going to apply to you. I just don't want this to be a barrier to what God wants to say to you today. And so uh, what I want you to see here is that there's this perfect uh, unity. There's this perfect relationship, and it gets broken. And here's how it breaks. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, this is what we find. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, there's a lot of parents in this room. I'm a parent. And oftentimes, parents, don't we put rules in place for our kids to protect them, to keep them safe, right? That's, that's why we have rules in, in, for the most part, is to protect our children, to keep them safe. Uh, my oldest daughter uh, is 12 and a half, and she, uh, her entire world, every desire in her heart right now is for an iPhone. <clears throat> I mean, she's just at that age. She's just like, I mean, it's just, that's the world we live in, right? Uh, And so we're trying to walk through that carefully. We don't want to encourage this unhealthy relationship with technology, but at the same time, technology is coming. We want her to be prepared for that. And so we're trying to walk through that cautiously. And she does have a phone that she has limited access to, limited usage of, and there's lots of rules around that, right? Like, be careful. You're only going to certain websites to look at things. We're not giving you free access to the internet. Uh, there's limited amounts of time that you get to have this device. There's limited things you can do on it. In fact, you don't get to choose to add people to your contact list. You have to approve the people that you're going to be texting with mom and dad. Like these are the rules we've set in place to protect her, to teach her, to train her at 12 and a half years old. Now what she doesn't know is that she actually can't break the rules. See, we've set up technology on her phone so that the rules that we put in place are enforced automatically by the technology. She can't break them. It's impossible for her to break them. And we've done this to protect her. We do this as parents, right? Uh, I mean, we tell our kids, put your seatbelt on, and then we make them put their seatbelt on. Like, they don't have an actual choice in this. But what we find here is that the creation of the world, God gives an instruction, he gives a command, and he doesn't set it up in such a way that they have to obey. They have a choice. They get to choose whether or not they're going to do what God has asked them to do. And they choose not to. And the consequences are tremendous. They're huge. The implications of not doing what God said in this moment have far-reaching consequence. But God allows them to choose. And we find that there's this problem that we people, we humans, have been given something called free will. 
And there's a reason that we have free will. It's not so we can make bad decisions. It's because God wants us to choose him. God wants us to love him. God wants us to enter into relationship with him. But if we don't have the ability to choose, it's not really love. It's enslavement. If we don't have the ability to say, yes, I choose to follow God, I choose to serve God, I choose to obey God, then we're not really choosing it, we're enslaved to it. So we have to have free will. God knew this, God understood this, and so he gave us free will, but with that comes consequence. Because here's the other thing. If he gives us free will to make bad decisions, but those bad decisions don't actually have consequences, did we really have free will? No. And what we find is that other people's free will often affects us in horrific and tragic and terrible, terrible ways. And so after we've asked the question, am I in step with God? After we've asked the question, is the enemy attacking me? We ask this question, is this someone else's free will? Is that what's happening here? Is this someone else's will? And guys, I've seen this play out. I've seen this take place in our church. I've seen... Marriages fall apart because one spouse decided they were done. They had a choice. They made a choice. It had far-reaching consequence in the family. I've seen this play out in so many ways when we choose to use our free will unwisely. We make poor decisions and the consequences are far-reaching. We saw this in our city this week. There's a young man who had free will, and at three o'clock in the morning, he decided to use that free will to go out into the middle of the street with a firearm and begin shooting it off randomly. The police responded to that call. A gunfight ensued, and Colorado Springs police officer Dizelle was shot and critically wounded, and we're praying for him and his family right now that he would recover, that we would see full recovery. And all indications are that he's going to recover. And our hearts are still with him and his family. And we're so thankful for him. But we saw the consequence of that free will. And we've had a lot of this, haven't we, with our law enforcement this year? Man, it's been a tough year for law enforcement. It seems like it was just yesterday, even though it was several months ago, uh, that we heard the reports from Aurora when the officers were baited to come and get shot at. And then right after that, uh, we saw a shooting here in our city, um, here in Colorado Springs, where uh, a detective uh, and some other officers were responding to a stolen vehicle. A gunfight ensued. Deputy Flick lost his life. I don't know Officer Duzel. I don't know the officers that were involved in Aurora. I don't know Deputy Flick. I didn't know him personally, but I knew people who knew him. I knew people who were close to him. And I watched his wife kind of navigate this situation. And here's what I know about that family and about that deputy. He loved God. He was a righteous man. By all counts, he was a great deputy. By all counts, he was a great father. He was a great husband. He was a great friend. This was a stand-up guy. And yet someone else's free will had dire consequences for him. And the problem we have with this is why did God allow that to happen? Why didn't God save him? Why didn't God protect him? Why didn't God heal him? Why didn't God show up? 
We'll come back to that question in just a second because as hard as that is, as hard as it is to walk through someone else's choice, someone else's free will affecting you, as difficult as that is, there's something that's even more difficult. If we jump back to Genesis, we're going to see what it is. Now, what has happened here in the verses in between is God has come into the garden. They've realized that they're naked and ashamed and that they're now out of relationship with God. And God begins to hand out uh, kind of consequences and is walking them through this scenario. And he, he gives a consequence to the serpent who deceived them. He gives a consequence to Eve. And then he looks to Adam and he says this to Adam, picking up in verse 17, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Now, now, I want to point something out here. He doesn't say, I am cursing the ground because of you. He says, because you have done this thing, there is a consequence. That consequence is this, that the ground is now cursed. That because the ground is cursed, in pain you'll eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it will bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return and what we find here is that the relationship between humans and nature is broken suddenly our relationship with the world is not what it's supposed to be. It's broken now. And the ultimate consequence of that is death. Our our bodies are not going to stay alive forever like they were designed to do. They're going to die. They're going to break down and die. Things are broken. And as I say that, as I say these words, words, the world is broken, doesn't your heart agree with that? Doesn't something in you go, yeah, it is broken? Doesn't something in you just respond and go, man, he's right. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Things are broken. And we've watched the brokenness play out over and over and over again. When righteous people, when good people, when godly people find out that the diagnosis is not good. When your brother or your sister or your parent or your child or maybe even you, get that diagnosis of cancer. Maybe cancer again. And something in your heart just sinks, going, it's not supposed to be this way. You're right. It's not supposed to be this way. But the world is broken. It doesn't work the way it's supposed to. And our issue with it is the same as our issue with other people's free will. Where is God in it? Why didn't God do something? Why isn't God doing something? Why has he allowed this? I, I tell you, like, I, this is, this is a, a dangerous line to walk, but I'm going to walk it this morning because I, I just feel as we were worshiping, God said, you need to tell him about this. And I'm going to tell you, some of you know, uh, my wife and I, we have four children. Uh, two of them are on the autism spectrum, one of them somewhat severe. And here's what I know. We would not trade our son for the world. We absolutely love him. We absolutely love everything about him. We love the way that he sees the world and interacts with the world. But I also know this, that his life and our lives are more difficult because of his diagnosis, because of what's going on. And something in me cries, I love my son. I love who he is. But at the same time, it's not supposed to be this hard. It's not supposed to be this difficult. It's not supposed to be like this, and we're right, it's not. And then, what, here's where we get into trouble. We begin to ask the question, well, if God is really God, 
If he's really all-powerful, if he's really all-knowing, if he's really good, if he really loves us, why doesn't he do something? It's not like he can't. We know that he can't. Guys, I I can tell you story after story where I've seen God come through. I've seen the miracle happen. We were right here in this church upstairs in one of the offices. We got a phone call. There's a young girl that we knew by circumstance another part of the country. And through a course of events, her life was in jeopardy. In fact, when the EMS got there, she had no vitals. They began CPR. When they got her hooked up to the machines, there were no brain waves. The machines were keeping her alive. By all counts, she was dead. They were just waiting for the call, waiting for the parents to give permission to pull the plug. And we got on our knees and we prayed and we prayed desperately and we prayed with faith and we believed that God could and we believed that God would. And in that moment, a miracle happened as we were praying, her brain waves returned. Within a few minutes, she was breathing on her own. The next day, she stood up to try and walk. We saw a dead girl come back to life. God can do the miracle. I've seen the diagnosis. I've seen where the tumor was supposed to still be there and it magically wasn't, magically, because God removed it. Where God did the miracle. I've seen people come forward for prayer in this very room, walking with a cane, barely able to walk. They've been prayed over, they've been anointed with oil, they received healing and they practically danced back out the aisle the other way. I've seen the miracle. I know God can. But sometimes... He doesn't. I was also here when we prayed for a man who's been a part of this church for a long time. The diagnosis was not good and we believed, the whole church believed, the elders believed. I was there, I saw their faith. They laid hands on him. They anointed him with oil. We believed that he would be healed from cancer. We believed that it was gonna be gone, that he was just going to be miraculously healed and it would be this amazing testimony for God. I was there, I saw it and we believed wholeheartedly that he was gonna stand up and be renewed any day. And he didn't. And he died. A few years ago, I was there. I walked with the family as their young, young, young son was diagnosed with cancer. And we prayed for months and months and months that God would heal him. And we believed, oh, what a testimony this is going to be. We had faith. We knew it was going to happen. And around his 13th month birthday, he died. How does that happen? Where is God in that? Like this is the question that we ask in those moments and it's hard and it's difficult and it's not fair and it's not supposed to be this way and the world is broken. But here's what I want to challenge you with. When you face those difficult things, remember this. It says in the book of Isaiah this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now don't misinterpret this, because often this gets misinterpreted as God had a plan, that God wanted this to happen for some reason. He ordained this cancer, he ordained this death, he ordained this hard thing. Don't you believe it for one second? The world is broken. 
And God could have healed and he didn't and we don't get to know why and we don't get to assume that it was God's will that it not happen. And when you say that to other people, trying to be comforting, when you're in that hospital room, when you're sitting with them in their living room and you're going, you know, everything happens for a reason, it's not helpful. Just don't say it. This is the response. I don't know why this happened. I'm so sorry. I'll walk with you through it. That's the response. Because we don't know the mind of God. We don't understand the mind of God. And my favorite picture of this in scripture is in the book of Job. Some of you are familiar with the story, but let me just give it to you really briefly. Job is a righteous man. He follows God. He obeys his commands, and yet calamity befalls him. And his friends, trying to be helpful, say, well, if you would just stop sinning, if you would just do things God's way, if you would just repent, if you just had enough faith, right? These are the arguments that get thrown out there, and this is what they say to him, that if you just, if you just, if you just, then God would stop, then God would stop it, God would change it. And Job says, I have done nothing wrong. There's nothing for me to repent of, and I wish that God would come down here and tell me What's going on? And a few chapters later, God does just that. And he shows up in a whirlwind and it's terrifying. And God says this, I'm gonna question you, Job, and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I stretched out its corners? Where are the boundaries of the, oh, surely you know if you have so much wisdom. Surely you understand. Surely you have comprehension. And here's why I tell you that. Because we cannot know the mind of the Lord. He is God. And sometimes it just doesn't make sense to us. But we have a choice. In those moments, we can either look to what God has not done and say, God, why haven't you? God, where are you? God, why didn't you? God, why why wouldn't you? God, where are you in this? We can look to what God has not done. Or we can look at what he has done. And John 16, 33 says this. I have told you these things. This is Jesus speaking. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You want that kind of hope? You want that kind of joy? You want that kind of peace? Here's what I know. I was at the funeral for that 13-month-old. And I saw his parents stand on this stage and proclaim a hope that didn't make sense with a joy that shouldn't have been there and a peace that was beyond comprehension because they were walking through it with God, because they were looking to what God had done, not what God had not done. I was at Deputy Flick's funeral, and I saw his family, I saw his wife stand on that stage and proclaim with hope that there is a God who is walking with her, who loves her, who is walking through it. And so in the midst of other people affecting our lives, in the midst of hard, difficult, broken things happening to us, we look to God and we say, I'm not going to be concerned about what you have not done, I'm going to be concerned about what you have done, because you have over come the world by the blood of Jesus 
You've taken all the sin and all the guilt and all the shame upon yourself. You've made it possible for me to have a relationship with you, God, both in this life and in the next. And in this world, we'll experience trouble, but I'm walking through it with you. I'm walking through it with my God, and he's giving me peace in the midst of it. He's giving me hope in the midst of it. He's giving joy in the midst of it. And someday, it will all be made new. And someday, the world won't be broken anymore. And someday, he will reign forever supremely and we won't face the consequences of other people's actions anymore. Someday, it's coming. And so, when times get hard, we look for the cause and we lean into God by placing our eyes on Jesus. There's an old, old hymn. I grew up singing this hymn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Yes, I don't want to diminish the hard things. I don't want to diminish the difficult things that you're facing. But I know this. If you put your eyes on Jesus, you can walk through them with hope and joy and peace.